is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you are just tuning in, we are on the road in Garfield Park for a live broadcast from Urban Produce. We kicked off the show by exploring the ins and outs of the cannabis industry in Illinois, and now we're going to turn our attention to how the promises of social equity have actually played out for budding businesses. State leaders have touted its dedication to breaking down barriers for minority-owned dispensaries and for communities affected by the war on drugs. But two years after recreational use was legalized in Illinois, the state's cannabis industry is still overwhelmingly white and dominated by large corporations. Plus, the lottery system for dispensary licenses continues to face scrutiny. So joining us now to discuss are two social equity applicants. First up, Alicia Nesbury-Moore. She's the co-owner and chief veggie officer of Urban Produce. Hi, Alicia. Hi. Thank you for offering this beautiful space. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for coming. Also here, Willie J.R. Fleming. He's founder of Hemp for Hoods. Hi, J.R. Hello. Thanks for having me. Good to talk with you again. All right, Alicia, first up, tell me more about this space. We are at Urban Produce. Yeah, so you're at um, a production farm on the west side of Chicago. Uh, It was founded in 2016, and we've gone through many expansion projects. And so now we're a production farm, but we're also an agro-tourism site. And you guys are sitting in our event space called The Coop, which is available for renting. And our production farm is... um, You know, people always ask how they can support us, and they can support us by purchasing our Market Box, which is our um, subscription CSA. So, yeah. Okay. And uh, I'm curious why you wanted to start Urban Produce. Take me back. And and what does a chief veggie officer do exactly? So it's just my fancy or my my, uh, agriculture term for CEO. So, yeah, I just oversee all of the agriculture here, all the veggies here at Urban Produce. So, my love for agriculture started in grad school. Um, I studied cereal crops, and so that's kind of what introduced me to agriculture altogether. Um, and then I was like, wait, um, how can I apply this to my life? I live in Chicago. So that's when Urban Ag was introduced. So, um, the rest was history. I was graduating um, from Chicago State with uh, a master's in uh, molecular biology. And yeah, this farm was right around the corner. The founder, we kind of collaborated. And now, years later, I'm the co owner. And yeah, we awesome. expanded this business. That's incredible. You pivoted to urban agriculture after trying to enter the cannabis industry, right? So you applied as a social equity applicant. So I want you to remind us about what that means and the criteria that you had to meet. So it's actually the reverse. So we were in Urban Act and we decided, we were reading the, you know, the news articles, the legislation that was opening up and we were like, wait, this is perfect. Like we're the perfect people to grow cannabis in Chicago. We already have an established business. We know plants. I live in East Garfield Let's Park. Apply. Let's apply. You know, I'm able to raise money. So funding wasn't really an issue. Um, and so we're like, yeah, let's go. Let's go for this. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> JR, let's bring you in here. It's a good time. What did the application process look like for you? And tell us why you wanted to enter the industry. Well, the application process was pretty easy for me. Um, I run a construction and a development company, and I'm used to doing RFPs for the government, um, okay. contracting opportunities. Um, I wanted to initially just get in the industry and assist people with applying. So when we initially got into the industry, it was just to apply for a dispensary and to assist others as a trade association. Um, Hemp for Hood 
and Southwest Coalition for Commerce, we wanted to help other social equity applicants looking to apply, um, get in this industry. So I linked up with um, a brother by the name of Kayvon, co-founder of Cresco, okay. who was doing a lot of um, housing work, like me, um, on the West Coast. So he was doing a lot of land trusts and co-ops, and I was like, look, I got a lot of information to share with you around co-ops, if you can share some cannabis secrets. And uh, pretty much, um, we end up getting Cresco to initiate an incubator program because we wanted folks to really have an opportunity to get in this industry and um, justice ground. And I end up winning multiple licenses with justice ground. Yeah, so you, you managed to get multiple licenses. And, and so for our listeners who might not be familiar, can you just explain how the lottery system works? Well, the lottery system initially was 75 applicants, as Tom said earlier. Um, it was expanded due to a lawsuit we filed um, and later created 1443 uh, to create 110 different um, licenses. Mm -hmm. um, that application process was um, pretty strenuous, but the, the lottery process was pretty rigged. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that, you know. Why do you the, say that? I mean, one of the companies, I mean, the company that was hired to score the application um, put in a last minute application and won a license. I mean, need I say more? I mean, that's yeah. pretty obvious. Um, I think also a lot of folks. <clears throat> felt like it was manipulated by MSOs, multi-state operators, folks familiar with the industry, who um, put in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of application versus one application I'm sure um, this young lady might apply for. Alicia's head is nodding, and I want to get back to you. Why you're agreeing with what he's saying here? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, we were presented with so much opportunity. So news stations were here every other week covering my story and I just felt like, oh, wow, I really have a chance at this. And then when I got, you know, and, and submitted my application, I witnessed people literally go to the desk with a whole, like, case of applications. And I was like, wait a minute, I did something wrong. <laughs> Here I am just going to mind my about to get lost. Yes. <laughs> There's no way I have a chance. So I think at that moment I knew, oh, this, this isn't for me. So they were putting in stacks and stacks of applications. I mean, like crates. Crates. And wiping yours sort of out the way. What's the status of your application right now? So the status of my application is not existent. <laughs> it's, a, it's just in the black hole. I don't, um, we didn't get a dispensary, of course. We didn't get that license. Um, we got disqualified for the, um, the infuser. Um, and the other two are just kind of in limbo. I don't know. Well, I wouldn't say that it's in a black hole. Um, due to um, pending litigation, I believe one of the remedies the state has to offer is to create a new process for existing applications. Okay. So I wouldn't say that your application is in a black hole. I won't have folks giving up out there. Uh, well, how are you feeling, though, Alicia? Yeah, I feel like, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I can't imagine, you know, how people... So I have an existing business, so this is still... This still gives me hope, but... If I was really resting on that to, you know, grant my success, I would really be in a dark place um, just to try to pivot and figure out something else to do. So, yeah, in that instance. Yeah. And it's not cheap to apply either. So when you talk about people coming in with stacks and stacks of applications, that's expensive. Yeah. I already knew that I was like literally a minnow in an ocean. <laughs> You're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are live from Urban Produce in Garfield Park for a special strain of the show. We are talking with two social equity applicants about 
why they wanted to enter the cannabis industry and the challenges that they faced along the way. So I'm talking with Alicia Nesbury-Moore, who's co-owner and chief veggie officer of Urban Produce, and Willie J.R. Fleming is founder of Hemp for Hoods. Tell us more about Hemp for Hoods, J.R., and your experience in the industry so far. Well, Hemp for Hood is our nonprofit arm um, that educates the public around cannabis, um, hemp, and the multiple uses of hemp. Um, my companies are <coughs> Public Square. Um, we partner with um, a brother by the name of Richard Park, you know, Lobie and Lobie, um, Lisa Shin, Jordan Melendez, and Twister Kamikaze, right? Okay. So um, between the two, you know, each of us own a craft grow license and a fusion and a transportation license. I would say some of the hardest challenges in this industry right now is locating space. Getting space in the city of Chicago that fits your needs is a challenge only because the MSOs have already acquired most of them, right? Mm -hmm. um, another one of the challenges is working with elected officials. I'm just going to put it out there. You know, um, Alderman Michael Scott's been one of the easiest to work with in the city. Um, the mayor's office, World Business Chicago, has been assisting us. I just think um, a lot of the benefits that, you know, big corporations have gotten in Chicago, mm -hmm. like the Amazon, Mariano's, and all of these folks, don't exist to cannabis operators. And we'd like to see more. You know, I want to shout out the Cook County government for recently passing um, legislation that allows for some of the cannabis tax to assist social equity owners in the industry. So that's the tax dollars being able to assist owners who just entered this industry. Right. But some of the challenges is are definitely the biggest challenge we have as a cultivator is that 185 potential customers, dispensaries, are being held up in court. Mm -hmm. So when I start growing, who I'm going to sell to? There's the thing. You know, there's also hiring requirements, right? Let's say, you know, that at least half of the full-time employees of a social equity applicant need to be directly affected by marijuana convictions. Why is it important to make sure that uh, people who've been directly affected by drug laws are profiting from this industry. I mean, someone like myself who had 16 charges in the past, you know, um, sometimes covered that. You know, I had 16 cannabis charges, you know, before my record was expunged. I think it's important to integrate us back in the community into a, a company, into the business industry that we was prosecuted for. You know, it, you know, not to racialize thing, but it's a very racial issue. You know, a lot of African Americans went to jail for marijuana charges possession intent to deliver and now 98 percent of the industry is white men selling it on the corner out mm -hmm. of a store so i think there has to be some type of um, reparations some type of repair of the harm that has been caused by the war on drugs and i think mandating that folks like us get in the industry makes the most sense so in theory this sounded like a good idea i mean it sounded like a great idea just the percentage of winners that come from these disproportionately impacted areas are not participating right yeah. But we also challenge each other who want a license to make sure that we integrate our people. Like, uh, my biggest challenge is going to be, you know, making sure we get folks trained up so they can participate in this industry. When you think, Alicia, about what we're, t what we're talking about now, right, the criminalization of weed um, and, and just the devastating impact that it's had on our community, black and brown communities, families destabilized, despite that and despite these promises of diversity, corporations and white sellers are still dominating this market. So what goes through your mind when you see that? Yeah, so that's really the reason why I decided to teach, um, go on the teaching side of it. Yeah. So um, I'm an adjunct at uh, the city colleges, and um, I'm in the cannabis department now. So um, I teach cannabis processing. So a lot of it is, you know, getting them ready to be a part of the industry. So it's one thing to have 
you know, the past, but it's another thing to be presented as a viable candidate. So, yeah, yeah. I agree with everything that JR said uh, wholeheartedly, but yeah. You think the state's equity initiatives go far enough to, to counteract the harm that's been done? On paper. <laughs> On paper. If I, if, if I could add, you know, I will give credit to the governor's office of Representative Ford and Danielle Perry. Um, last month, they created a new application process, streamlined, less strenuous, um, which real social equity folks can apply. 55 new licenses, um, $250 application fee. Mm -hmm. Only one per person per application can apply, so you can't go on multiple applications. I think that's a step in a good direction. But again, like she said, on paper. Let's take a quick pause right here. That is J.R. Fleming, founder of Hemp for Hood, and Alicia Nesbury-Moore, co-owner and chief veggie officer of Urban Produce. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we are live at Urban Produce in Garfield Park. The cannabis industry is booming. But are people who have been negatively impacted by the war on drugs and harsher sentencing cashing in? We are continuing our conversation with two social equity applicants about what that process has been like for them and what solutions they want to see moving forward. With us are Alicia Nesbury-Moore, co-owner and chief veggie officer at Urban Produce. By the way, that is spelled H-E-R-B-A-N for the folks Googling in the back. And uh, Willie J.R. Fleming is here, too. He's founder of Hemp for Hood. All right, guys, let's jump back in. J.R., the Illinois Adult Use Cannabis Social Equity Program. It lays out different ways that it supports these social equity applicants. What kind of resources have you gotten throughout the process? I mean, DCEO, um, Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity, provided a loan program for cultivators, transporters, infusers, and um, dispensary owners. Um, outside of that support, that's it. I mean, as Tom talked about earlier, there's no support around legislation that could expand, enhance our business. For instance, I have a craft grow company that right now can only grow at 5,000 square feet versus 200,000 for the MSOs. What we would like to see is that push to the max of 14,000 right off the back. Mm -hmm. And so we went down to Springfield looking for legislative help, and that never happened. And I think that's one of the most disappointing things. You know, I'm, I'm trying to start off at 14,000 square feet. If you know anything about growing, you don't want to do backwards production, right? Right, right. You know, you want to start off at 14, not do 5,000, 4,000, 4,000. It makes no sense. And yeah. It's backwards development. So I was looking for more support legislatively, and it just didn't happen this session. Alicia, what do you think? What would have helped you? I guess more clarity going in. Um, I really went into this process very green. So I had, you know, a really strong team of people that really propped me up um, to help me through it, but not realizing that in the end, it just seemed like I really didn't have a chance. Mm. And so we spent a lot of money, a lot of time, and tapped into a lot of resources um, to seemingly come to an, a dead end. So here's something that the state recently simplified its rules for, for the applicants. Now the application will be a simple online form covering the basics. Uh, the name of your organization, uh, principal officers, contact information, stuff like that, $250 fee. Are you hopeful that that's going to make it easier for social equity applicants in the future? I hope so, but what about the people who spent thousands of dollars and spent months? It 
almost was a year. So we heard about, you know, Illinois possibly opening up, um, you know, the adult use market. And we began to do the work then, get all of our ducks in row then. Mm -hmm. And so for them to simplify the process for, you know, future applicants, great, great. But what about, you know, folks who really did spend all that money, time and, and effort um, just to get one license? JR, the new applicants are also going to be limited to one application statewide. What do you think about that change? You know, it's a mixed bag for me. One, I'm happy for those who are able to apply and maybe hopefully win. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, again, we're talking about equity in a cannabis industry dominated uh, by a particular culture, right? Uh, a lot of rich white men who entered this industry. Mm -hmm. And if we really want to diversify that and provide economic opportunity for black and brown men and women, I think we're going to have to really look hard at what we're doing with a single application and a single license versus multiple license holders. And as someone who is successful with it, I want you to dig into this a little bit more because these licenses, they have the potential to really be life-changing, right, and, and create wealth. Talk about that. I, I mean, right off the bat, you know, there's a valuation out where I can sell my license for several million dollars, right? You know, that's life-changing. You know, you take my income from what it was last year mm -hmm. to multi-million dollars right now. But I plan on standing in, standing in the industry and to get that generation of wealth. I want to pass this corporation on to my children. And, and so it's life-changing. When I say life-changing, not just in terms of how much economic growth I could have, but being somebody who come from a group called the Anti-Eviction Campaign, right, I did housing work. It's given me an opportunity to do more with more, right? I did so much with so little that I can do much more for the community now with much more resources and funding. Yeah. Alicia, the state plans on awarding 55 new licenses for recreational marijuana retail stores sometime later this year. Right now, as we mentioned, there are these 185 pending licenses that have been held up in court. Do you think that the number of licenses needs to be limited? If we look at other markets, you know, everyone is afraid of the market being over, overly saturated before people even get a chance to establish their, their business. So, no, I think that the state needs to address who's already on the table so that they are properly established so that, you know, they have more of a chance to stand up against the MSOs and the, the bigger corporations who are probably just, you know, waiting on their chance to acquire them anyway. Yeah. So this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. For folks just tuning in, we're live from Urban Produce in Garfield Park. And uh, we were talking with two social equity applicants about why they wanted to enter the cannabis industry and the challenges that they faced. That was Alicia Nesbury Moore, who's co-owner and chief veggie officer of Urban Produce. And uh, Willie J.R. Fleming is here. He's founder of Hemp for Hood. When you think about the delay in licensing, Alicia, and, and who's been able to, um, to gain access while people like you have been waiting, what do you think has been lost? I think we've lost diversity because the people who, you know, could, who was ready to kind of pounce and get into the industry don't have the resources to play this waiting game. You know, they have to do other ventures. They have to put their money in other places. They probably have to pay back um, people that they borrowed money from to even apply. So I think we've already lost the diversity that we were looking for in the beginning. Mm, that part, the paying people back. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Um, 
something else, JR, is that some applicants that have won a license are considering selling it to owners with deeper pockets. How do you feel about that? As someone who do equity, it's equity, right? You take a person and you change yeah. their income level, that's equity. I'm disturbed by it, you know, that are not, <clears throat> excuse me, not enough African-American, Latino athletes, entertainers, and those who have the capital are trying to acquire the um, licenses. You know? yeah. That's been a challenge from the beginning. If we want to see this industry diversify, we got to go get people of color with money to participate. That's why we reached out to Levetta Willis and Chris Weber, you know, um, to get some assistance in this market for people of color so that we can keep some of these licenses in the hands of black and brown folks. What do you think needs to be in place to keep people in the industry from doing this? I mean, legislation don't help. I, don't, I wouldn't tell nobody to go do a law to say I can't sell my license. That's not fair. You don't know the conditions of which somebody you need to sell a license, what type of economic hardship, one. And then two, as the sister just said, you look at how many people got to pay back debt. Like, folks, 185 companies. We're talking about 185 licenses caught up in court. Mm-hmm. Been, been almost a year since it's supposed to be allocated, almost a year since it was supposed to come out last June. How many people are paying rental spaces that don't have cannabis in the store? You know, people took leases out. Like, the debt is real. Trust mm. me, the debt is real. Can you weigh in on that, Alicia? I mean, people are considering selling to people who have more money. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have the money to hold on, you know? Like, you don't have the, the money to wait. And like I said, people went in, you know, very green. It was like, oh, the possibility is there. This program was for me. Um, and, you know, we were sold a dream, but the reality is it really wasn't. And um, people with the deeper pockets are the ones that are able to kind of play out and wait um, to see how this plays out. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And if I could just add, I would love to see a provision that mandates that those who do sell their license have to get a certain percentage of them proceeds back to the community, those disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs in some type of philanthropic way. I really feel like folks who sell their licenses should be given back to the communities. In some way. What kind of concerns are you hearing, JR, from from other social equity applicants who just trying to find success in the industry? What are they saying? Taxes in the city of Chicago is driving them out to the suburbs. There's a lot of people who want to open a commercial business in Chicago. Taxes is a big burden. Corrupted politicians who want something quid pro quo is another challenge that we're having, right? You go to certain aldermans in their community and you, you, you're met with resistance because they're banking on somebody they connected to yeah. opening up in their community. So these are real challenges and challenges that are pushing folks out of the city of Chicago and actually pushing folks out of the industry who just want to sell their license now. Mm-hmm. I, I want to also touch on... Um a new federal lawsuit that was filed this week, JR. A group of pot consumers, workers, and entrepreneurs, they allege the legal marijuana business in Illinois is being controlled by a, quote, Chicago cartel that includes wealthy and politically connected families. What is your reaction? Well, I actually know the group. Um, they, they copied our first suit um, and, and, and went and did that. Um, I actually know the group. You know, everybody's going to sue. And to my, my point is, the longer it takes to get these licenses in the hands of social equity winners, you know, the, the more hurt we're causing black and brown folks. I mean, one of the things about this is everybody's going to sue. I mean, I, we sue first, so I, I know how it goes. Right, right. right. And that, that was to create 110 new licenses. There's going to be lawsuit after lawsuit, and the problem with that is it's going to hold the licenses up. 
I'm praying we don't end up like New Jersey, where licenses was held up for two years. That is a heartbreaker. What do you thought? Yeah. What do you think, Alicia? So the um, applicant writer that helped us kind of mentioned the same thing. Like this is going to get held up in legislation, and it's just going to be a waiting game. Um, yeah. So it's a waiting game. It seems like the yeah, that's the name of the game. It hurts, it, it hurts us, right? You, if you look at it, the state estimated three hundred million dollars will be made off of cannabis revenue in the first year or two, right? It's over two billion dollars. It's triple, quadruple. So when I look at that, I haven't been able to enter the industry for a year. Yeah. And I look at the number of dispensary winners and cultivation winners who haven't been able to open up. I know that we already lost three to four hundred million dollars already. Jeez. We'll have to leave it there for now. That's Willie J.R. Fleming, who's founder of Hemp for Hoods, and Alicia Nesbury Moore, co-owner and chief veggie officer of Urban Produce. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.